Hi everybody, this is Lori Weaver. Welcome to Compulsive Overeating Diary, day 53. It's now been 18 weeks, one day since I began this experiment where I talk about my thoughts and feelings about compulsive overeating rather than heading for the chips. And yesterday was my weigh-in day and actually I was down by 0.2, which lets me look at the 206 number for the first time in over a year. Yay, 206.8. But what makes me particularly happy about that is at the moment, I'm not counting my calories and I'm not really dieting. I'm paying more attention to how my body's feeling, more of the intuitive eating scale type thing, trying to separate my emotions out from my eating. Now, the good news is this seems to be pretty effective for me. As long as I find ways to deal with my emotions, I seem to be able to control my eating. Now the bad news is, if I'm not compulsively overeating to deal with emotions, these emotions are definitely rising to the surface and they can cause a lot of turbulence since I'm not used to actually feeling my emotions. Not the good ones, not the bad ones. I kind of keep them all at a steady hum by worrying about dieting or by heading for the chips. So it's been quite the roller coaster for me. And so today's topics are all going to be kind of around the idea of support. How do you feel your emotions? Do you need to have your buddies on board with you? How about your family? What if you're married to someone who isn't interested in becoming more healthy? How difficult is that? So I'm going to read you a blog post I did yesterday while searching through my own life memories. We're gonna do a conversation based from our, one of our new Brave Companions, Millie, who posted a comment on day 52 about what does she do if her sisters aren't in the same place as she is with comments to help her from me, Cheryl, and Stephanie. And then after my topic, all about support and thinking about therapy, then, we're going to do another one of Stephanie's secret topics for the day for fun. So with all of this coming up, I think I need to breathe and really let go. So let's listen to Josh Woodward's beautiful snippet of I'm letting go and think about what we can let go today. But I'm letting go. After listening to Josh today, what comes to my mind is my need to let go of one, either going it super alone, like I know everything, I'm the rock, I'm the superwoman, because I know for a fact that I don't. But I also need to let go of the idea that everybody else in the world is here to support me, that my ideas of how things are going right now are how they ought to go because I think I have been a little self-centric in my past, and that's really because, surprisingly enough, I think I'm a bit of an introvert, even though I have no problem giving speeches or teaching and doing all of this. My energy kind of comes back to me by thinking things through, so I'm very much in my head, and as one who lives in my head, I tend to put myself as the center of the universe. And that kind of goes to the whole idea of like, you know, I'm married to Mark. And so 
if I was dieting, then Mark better be dieting, right? <laughs> if I was getting all of the ice cream and chips out of the house, well, then he better darn well be good with that because it's good for him to lose weight just like it's good for me to lose weight. And as we talked a little bit before about how to get your own expectations met without impacting others, you know, it's a really good idea to just breathe and think about it when you're imposing your desires for how life shall be on your partners, your friends, or your family. Because there is no way that you can cause the world to align under your stars. Your best bet, especially when you're coming from a place of love and concern, and you truly feel like it would be cool to be on board with someone else to join you in your journey, is to communicate your desires in a loving way. To say, hey, you know, I've really been thinking about trying to become more healthy in my own life, and how would you feel about maybe not having so many chips in our house, or how would you feel about maybe changing our lunch date to a walk date, that kind of thing. But like everything else in life, brave companions, you are free to communicate your wishes, your thoughts, your feelings, your truth in any way that you can, as long as you do it kindly. But we have to be prepared for the no. We have to be ready for, uh, I don't feel like going for walks. Sorry. And it might be that that friendship has to go on hold. Now, if you're married and not in the market for divorce lawyer, then you have to be able to communicate until you can come to some kind of agreement. In our case, when I was not wanting to eat the chips as much and not wanting to have junk foods around because they were tempting me, finally we came to an agreement where we put that kind of food on this very, 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 very tall shelf in our kitchen, which I cannot reach without me getting my stepladder out to go get it. It's a place like where normally you would stick the seasonal cooking pans or something that you wouldn't get to. And Mark is very, very tall, so he's able to go reach it without problem. Then a second piece of information I had to make clear to my beloved husband was, and please don't then tell me about it. Don't come home from the market and say, oh yeah, I got the Lay's potato chips and I stuck them in the secret top shelf because I really didn't need to have that thought in my head. <laughs> there were potato chips high up in the top shelf that if I were to pull my ladder out I could climb up there and get at them. I said look hon I'm not trying to be secretive and I don't want you to really hide things from me but we both agree that this top shelf is where the junk food is going to go that you want to have and that's okay with me but I also would appreciate not having a play-by-play -play of exactly what kind of junk food there might be on that top shelf so that I can sit here thinking about it and then maybe ponder grabbing the stepladder. In other words, what I don't know <laughs> won't hurt me, right? And that took a while to sink in, but it's really been working well for us. He doesn't feel like he's deprived, and I don't feel like I have to look at things that I can't deal with. I don't have to think about those things. And actually, as my journey's been going further, I'm able to deal with more things in plain sight and not let them call my name. But it's all a process, right? So I guess the first step in support is being able to communicate well and to just understand that no matter how much that you want something for someone's own good, they're not always in the place to step up and join you. And they might not ever be in that place. And if you love them, you just have to love them as best you can.
and deal with it as best you can without caving in your own health and your own desires and your own goal. And that's a really tricky balance. So to go a little bit more on that, I wanted to read a comment from one of our newest listeners, Millie, that she posted on day 52. This is a bit off subject, but was wondering if this topic has been, has been discussed previously on your blog. I struggle with wanting my loved ones whom I share this disease to address and discuss their compulsive eating with me. Particularly, I'm thinking about my sisters. There are three of us, and what has happened in the past is that while one of us might be addressing this disorder, the other two are not on the same track at the same time. We all have successfully lost weight and then put it back on. I want us all to be actively working to achieve the same goal at the same time together. This seems juvenile, but it still feels important to me. Millie then goes on to express her concern for one of her siblings in particular and what she did to try to help. And then she continues. And after this visit, my binge eating got even worse and I was unable to control my eating until just recently. Am I creating a dilemma where there is none? Can I lose weight while my sisters remain miserable with obesity? My head recognizes the obvious answer. Yes, you can. Heal yourself so you can help others. Yet my heart is still sad. My dream is that by overcoming this disorder together, it will make us all stronger and bring us closer. The reality is, we never seem to be in sync. I will let go of this dream. I will take actions to progress with my own healing, and I will continue to love and support my sisters as best I can. Wow, how many of us brave companions have been in this situation? I don't think that I've ever been on the same page with my family or my super close friends. I have made friends with people who are on the same journey as me in different circumstances, but I don't think that Mark and I have ever begun anything on the same page. And a couple of my very close friends, same, same deal. Anyway, here's part of my reply to that comment to Millie on day 52. Your desire to be close to your sisters is very understandable. When you are all eating, then you share that. If you were all working toward the same goal, you would share that. I'm guessing, and again, I am not a counselor or trained at all, so it is just a guess that besides the health aspect, you fear losing the closeness of your relationship with your sisters. We have all mentioned how much we hate it when we are not eating the same as our friends, the lonely way it feels to stand out and feel left out. In a way, if one of you changes, then you are separating yourself from your sister crowd. That being said, this I know for a fact, you can only change yourself. And even if you do heal yourself, it doesn't mean that others will then heal too. You can support, understand, communicate with others, but you cannot change them. Now here's part of Cheryl's comment for Millie. It does seem to me so much harder without that support at home. And as Lori mentioned, so many of us have talked about eating the same way our friends do. It's one of the biggest contributing factors to being overweight. But you can't really divorce your family and friends because they won't go on a diet with you. So in many ways, I'm stuck exactly where you are. And I've come to the same conclusions. I guess if we don't take care of ourselves, no one else will. But sometimes that is a lonely and stressful place to be in, which just sets an eating cycle up again and again. Don't give up. We're all here when you need to unload. 
And Stephanie's reply offers some support for Millie too. Hey Millie, welcome. I agree with all that was said here and also feel the grief you are making of an ideal situation. I guess that if you are very close to your sisters, you may hopefully influence them in a positive way by sharing the insights and discoveries you are making. Talking about your aha moments with your sisters might have that igniting effect that you are hoping for. That said, I think you drew the best conclusion yourself. While you can still aim for the synchronicity, you can start taking care of yourself right away. Both are not incompatible. Until all your dreams can come true, let us be your third wheel. Thanks, Stephanie. And brave companions, I think this is one of the really awesome things that I've gotten from the podcast and you've given to each other on the podcast is when you come post or leave your voice messages on the Bravery Hotline or you speak pipe or send your voice. However you communicate to us, there are people who are trying to be on the same page with you. We are here, the brave companions. Now some of us are in the middle of still you know the robot aliens are coming for us regularly some of us are doing a little bit better some of us are trying different kinds of programs to deal with our issues some are in therapy some are not but all of us are in our own way however we're trying we are trying to address the compulsive eating bulimia whatever our issues are with food where we're using food to deal instead of living our life we're all trying, we're all doing our best. Now, as far as I know, not one of us <laughs> in the Brave Companions are active psychotherapists, psychiatrists, registered dietitians, or anything like that. So do take everything that we say as personal opinion, mine included. We tell our own stories to give you some ideas about what's possible. And if something resonates with you, then maybe you can try that. If it doesn't work out, don't feel badly. Try something new. As long as we continue to work forward together in dealing with our issues, I think we're going to be successful. And believe me, every brave companion out there listening this moment, whether or not you've contacted us, we still care and we will support you as best we can just with our positive thoughts and our greetings to all brave companions. Now, I said at the opening that my emotions have really been coming up lately. Just a, a huge sea, like a tidal wave of emotions, has been overcoming me because I'm not eating the chips. I'm really not eating the chips too much. So I'm very delighted that my weight seems stable and going slightly, slightly down. Since, as I shared, I would like to weigh a little bit less than I do. But my focus is on how does my body feel? My poor body that I've been abusing all of these years by starving or overfilling or forcing it to exercise on the death march of exercise bulimia to try to take off more calories and force weight off of its frame. Poor body. You know, body and I have had so many adventures through the years and it's really stuck with me through thick and thin. <laughs> Literally thick and thin. But yesterday, I normally post my status on Facebook, just a short status, and I keep track of where I am in the iTunes hot list, 
which is kind of obsessive like a scale weighing every day as I look to see where the podcast is because that gives me some information about who's where is it in the downloads are people commenting what's happening with it and it gives me a little bit of measurement so before I get into my topic I do want to ask you if you are on iTunes yourself if you already have an iTunes account and you like Compulsive Overeating Diary, please take a moment to leave a a nice review or leave your ratings there for it because that really, really impacts its placement in the hot list and that really impacts where it appears for new people looking for shows on this topic. So I'd appreciate it. Now be warned, if you are a brave companion who just wants to do something nice for me and you're not on iTunes already, When you sign up for iTunes, they're going to ask you for your name, your address, and a credit card because iTunes wants you to buy apps from iTunes. So you're not going to be able to just leave a a review for me. So I appreciate that if you wanted to go to all that trouble. But please, don't even start if you don't want to have to give Apple computer your credit card information in order to leave a review. You know what? But if you listen to... Compulsive Overeating Diary on other places like Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Miro, most places where you can listen, you can also leave a star rating or a review or a thumbs up or a like. And if you would take a moment today to do that, I would so appreciate it because in all of these channels, that really, really helps new listeners find us. Well, I guess I kind of segued into a commercial. I didn't really mean to do that. Where did this all start with? Oh, I know. It started because I post my status on Facebook, and this is what I had to say yesterday. Stiffness in my back today, even after my AM back exercises. So chillin', literally, with ice packs, and watching, so you think you can dance on Hulu+. Plus. Because we don't have regular commercial or cable TV, this is a show I have never, ever seen before. Wow! Besides enjoying all of the dancing, I am so struck by the joy of the dancers. This is passion. I love to see them in their moment. This is life at its finest, I think, when you are in your moment completely with your whole heart. I've seen it in gourmet cooks, in mothers with their kids, in singers, in little kids at play. I even have it at times when I'm recording my show, especially those from the mountain. I can safely say I've never had that moment in the middle of dieting or binging. Hmm, I think I might go write a blog post on this while I'm chilling with my eyes. And I did. Now, if you're inspired by hearing me read this to you and you'd like to read it yourself or print it out, you need to go to compulsiveovereatingdiary.com and If it's now many, many months since I've written this because you're behind in your podcast listening, you can find all of the blog posts by clicking on blog in the menu at compulsiveovereatingdiary.com. Also, if you click on show notes, you will see only podcast on compulsiveovereatingdiary.com. And that's because when you just go there in general, you're going to see everything. The shows, the blogs, the statuses, whatever I've put on that website are going to be in a stream. But you can separate it out by clicking either blog or show notes if one of those others are yours, your, what you want to see. Man, my tongue is tied up today. <laughs> but anyway, this particular blog post I wrote is called My Heart's a Dancer, Tears and Smiles from Digging Through the Memory Box. 
and I posted a photo of me at seven years old in my tutu with the following caption. My favorite ballet costume circa 1966. I was six and a half. A year or so from this photo, I will become obese and quit dancing because my teacher told me I would never medically qualify for toe shoes. At the time of this photo, dance moms were already remarking on how my legs were too big for me to study ballet. My teachers love my creativity and my musicality, but it's true, my shape made classical technique very challenging. How I wish I knew about modern dance at that time. Then I put down a subtitle called Two Sides to Memories. At the time I had this idea, I felt happy and excited to go find my ballerina photo. I loved to dance. It was one of my early passions. I still love to dance. I met Marcus score dance lessons. We ballroom dance. And I even dance around the house while cleaning and singing to my cats. I'm the cat Beyonce. I have what I call the memory box. I toss photos, special cards, my old driver's license from Washington, my student ID from university, letters from my past, letters from my best friend who has now passed away, tickets from trips, old ribbons, etc. This is the place for stuff I don't want to toss but don't like to look at much. It is telling to me. You can see, brave companions, even from this random sample, that the memories I toss in the box are good and sad, painful and joyful, all mixed together without classification, rhyme, or reason. If it's something from my past, I toss it in the box. As we travel together, you and I, on this experiment where I talk or write about my feelings rather than stuffing down the chips, more and more of my feelings are coming to the surface. Random, weird, happy, sad, painful, embarrassing, moments of pride and love I've forgotten. I have self-imposed amnesia. It is true. I have much pain in my past. Much, much pain. Enough that I would classify the entire first half of my life as something I don't want to remember. But the memory box shows me that there are these other bits I push out with food and numbness. My dad sitting me on his lap in our old boat to let me steer under the Narrows Bridge. My many cats and dogs and ducks and geese and guinea pigs. All of them my friends and babies and sources of joy and fun. My grandpa and grandma smiling while I blow out the candles on my birthday cake. My many trips to Disneyland with family, friends, old boyfriends. All different years and in each photo I'm a very different size. Swimming in the Puget Sound, swimming in many hotel pools, diving off our boat. I always loved the water. No matter my size, I felt free to move in water. Light, nimble, a mermaid of the deep. Summer days at my grandma's blueberry farm where I'd hurry to pick my 10 pounds of berries so we could rush off to the lake and go swimming. We'd take two buckets while picking. In the morning, you stand on one bucket to pick the top of the berry bushes. They're sized like small trees. In the heat of the afternoon, we turn it over and sit on the bucket to pick the underside of the bushes in the shade. Blueberries pulled straight from the bush in warm August burst on your tongue like liquid light and explode with flavor that you cannot buy in stores. I never picked fast. I never picked fast, but I picked very clean. My grandma always said she could sell my bucket to the customers without having to put my haul through the blueberry sorting machine. That's where leaves and unripe berries were removed. I guess I was a perfectionist berry picker even then. Today, my search to find my inner dancer in the memory box was very painful, both because I dug through items that remind me of the painful times, but also because I realized just how much of my life I've locked away out of reach.
Maybe the dancers I watch on the television exploding with vibrant movement and freedom are using all of their emotions to create their moments. Maybe they too have darkness in their paths, but they are flying right now, tipping their wings toward the sun. I'm thinking that part of my journey toward experiencing life instead of sleepwalking through it numb but safe in the haze of food slash diet slash weight compulsion is to bravely look at each photo in this box to remember to regain my joy as well as my pain. How about you, brave companions? When have you had your moments? Do you also have a memory box? How do you deal with it? Wow. That was a really hard blog post for me to write. It was hard to live through, and it was hard to realize that even while I was looking for that picture of me in my favorite ballet costume, that this would bring up so many conflicting emotions. I guess I'd forgotten just how good I was at turning my emotions off and putting the lid back on that box. And part of that pain that I was feeling is what convinced me that it is time for me to seek out some therapy of my own. So I took the step. I called my insurance carrier to find out how much was covered so I would know what it would cost and what's the network I need to find. And I started researching therapists. And that was hard enough. And then I actually placed a phone call to one who I thought sounded promising. But her caseload was full. So she referred me to another. And I'm actually going to call back and discuss it further with this therapist to see how it goes and at least have a session to see if it's a good fit. Because even though I'm very happy with the support of you, brave companions, and I'm really, really happy with myself and how my journey towards dealing with life versus food is going, I can see that it would benefit me greatly to actually have professional support as these emotions are coming to the surface. So I probably won't spill my guts to you in my in future podcasts on what my exact therapy entails, but I will let you know how it impacts my ability to deal with my life and if it's helping me keep those robot aliens away. So I wanted to finish up today by listening to the second secret topic sent by Stephanie. So if you didn't hear the first one, the way this works is Brave Companion Stephanie in Quebec sends me a wonderful audio question, which I'm going to listen to for the first time right now. And then I'm going to tell you any thoughts or feelings I have around that topic. So the way it's going to work is you're going to hear the wonderful introduction that my husband made for this feature. You'll hear Stephanie's voice herself because I'll cut it in after the podcast while I'm editing, and then you'll hear whatever I have to say about it. In a world where robot aliens beam down to silence truth with sneaky weapons. The human has been neutralized. Lori and her ragtag band of brave companions seek training to overcome robot aliens' stealth attack. A new voice of hope shines bright in the Zen place. Introducing Stephanie's secret topic of the day.
Hi, Lori. Hi, Brave Companions. Um, my next topic for you, Lori, revolves around the issue of long-term mindfulness. It seems that us Brave Companions all seem to have seem to be aiming for the same goal which is to develop a more healthy relationship with food and obviously that seems to involve a lot a lot of self-awareness um you know dealing with emotions and habits and relationships and you know whatever impacts on our food issues and whatever is underlying and um, although I find that this is obviously uh, the path to success I sometimes wonder will this ever become natural you know will this ever become like a second nature um, because you know There's so much involved, there's so much thinking involved, and there's so much need to focus and, and to be mindful and to be aware. And, and although I find a lot of peace and fulfillment in this journey that I'm doing with you, um, I sometimes wish I could just turn that switch off and go a couple of days without being so focused and wired to my inner self. And it's a lot of work, it's a lot of work. And, and although I'm, I'm ready to do this work, like you seem to be, I can't help thinking about the future. Will this be going on forever? Um, you know, I have a friend that's uh, been sober from alcohol for the last 10 years, and he still goes to his AA meetings. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, on, on one side, I'm, I'm hoping that it will become a natural, a second nature to me. And on the other side, I'm wondering if we need to be more self-acceptant and more zen about the fact that this will be an issue for the rest of our lives. So what do you think about that? Do you think that this will last forever? So I can't wait to hear your thoughts on that. Wow, Stephanie, is there any question that you could have asked that would have tied in better with my topic for today? Brave companions, I have to raise my hand and swear that I have not heard Stephanie's question prior to this very moment sitting on the bench at Descanso Gardens at my dry riverbed. But the whole thing about mindless mindfulness and how much work it takes and will it stick and do we have to think about this stupid stuff forever? Yeah, that's very, very pertinent. And I have all that frustration too. You know, something I've posted in my thread, actually a Spark People team, Stephanie's a part of this team and you guys are all welcome to join. Spark People is a place where you can go count calories and that's how I started with Spark People years and years and years ago is I went there and counted my calories. Now, I'm no longer counting calories at this moment in time. Instead, what I'm trying to do is practice the intuitive eating hunger scale. I'm at least trying to figure out what does my body tell me to let me know that it needs something to eat. And so, in kind of an ironic twist, I guess, the place where I go when I feel like keeping a record of how well I hit my hunger numbers or what could I feel in my body to tell me that it was hungry is I go to spark people in our team and made a thread called how hungry are you right now and that's where I'm keeping track of that so you can join us on spark people and just talk to us we also have a thread just for rants 
or you just want to talk about stuff that pisses you off that you don't necessarily need a reply for or things you appreciate. It's stuff we talk about in general. So for me, Stephanie, I've been training myself ever since I started this show. One, it's been automatic training for me to just spill my guts to you in order to spill my guts, which in English means telling freely without a filter. I have to think or become aware or be mindful of what's going on. So if the robot aliens have come and taken me away, then I need to take that apart so that I can tell the story on the show. And this constant mindfulness, which I'll tell you was such a burden for at least the first two or three months. It was really a burden to try to, okay, what are you thinking about? What are you feeling? Why are these robot aliens knocking at your door? Why did you screw up or why do you want to screw up? To have to analyze the stream of consciousness that's going through my brain and telling me all the compulsive little things was very, very exhausting, very, very tiring. And it was at that point in time that I most wanted to go right back on a diet. I wanted to count my calories. I really, really did. And I talked about that a little bit last show. And part of it is that while counting calories is a pain in the behind, it's very relaxing. You can figure out what you're going to eat that fits into that range and not think about it again if you have a weight loss goal. And that's kind of the danger for me, the siren call of it. Because there's only two ways that I can actually be mindless, at, you know, totally without concern thus far. One is to go on a diet and count my calories and prefigure what I'm going to eat and convince myself to stick to that. Because I don't have to care what my body is feeling. I don't have to care what I'm eating. I don't have to care anything as long as I'm sticking to my food plan. I'm good as can be. But I still have those pesky emotions that tend to send me over the edge and cause me to deal with them by overeating. In which case I've got the downside of dieting which is the feelings of failure, the feelings of being out of control, the feelings of self-doubt the feelings of anger and rage that I don't get to eat as much food as other people do, maybe physical feelings of hunger because for me to lose weight I have to eat less calories than my body is burning. That is the only way, however you do it, you're actually going to lose weight. You need to consume a little bit less than you're burning or you're going to stay the same or you're going to gain weight if you're eating a little more than your body's burning. So that's one method to be kind of mindless is if you are in that mood to figure out whether it's points, calories, portions, whatever, a certain amount of food that you know is less than you burn and you plan to eat that and you can keep yourself from eating it, then you, you don't have to think. The other way is to just totally pay no attention at all. That means if you're hungry, eat. If it looks good, eat. If it's 5 o'clock, eat. If it's 10 o'clock, eat. If you see it on TV, eat. Whatever kind of thing is your usual eating trigger, whatever might come across your path, go ahead, give in, do it. Eat anything you want, all you want, anytime you want. Now that would be nirvana, right? Hallelujah! We can eat anything and everything. It feels fabulous. You don't even need to binge because you're eating anything and everything. I believe this is what I told you guys in show one. That's what I did for six months. And it was kind of fun. 
drinking beers, eating chips, going out for pizza. Let's order in Chinese. Let's do whatever we want. Let's have some good cookies. Have you tried this chocolate? A lot of fun. But my body ended up putting on 23 more pounds, taking me up to 225 pounds. I did that in six months. And I could see that if I didn't haul myself in in some manner, that my body was going to continue putting on a pound a week. And who knows? I mean, right now I weigh 206 and change. And before I've been over 300 pounds. And it took me two years to get down into the 150s. And that was tough work. Boy, I know, I know, I know that my body could massively get to a huge size. And the bigger I get, the harder it is for me to live my life. And I don't just mean emotionally and socially. I mean to physically move, to be able to wash my own back, to make the bed, to pick up the cat, to carry the groceries, to come here to Desconso and be able to climb on the back trails, to go on my bicycle, to even be able to dance. The bigger I get, the harder it is for me to move my body, the more aches and pains I have. Plus, I have all the emotional crap, too, of all of the stuff where I feel bad because my legs are big and, and because I feel like a monster. All of that stuff from when I was young, I get all of that stuff, too. So, for me, the freedom and the let-it-all-go-ness of being completely non-mindful is not worth the price. Is what I'm doing now, will it stick forever? Oh my God, I hope so. I don't know so. I've been on many programs. I've done many things. And I've had some success for fairly long term. And, term and something else has come up. And there you are. But this is something I also have learned. You know, we're very fond of saying, let's get back on the, the wagon. Let's start again. You know, it's kind of like in the Catholic Church to go to confession and, and do your penance and start anew. I think in our whole dieting and binging and food issue world, we're kind of like that. We sort of go, I'm tired of the path I'm on. Let me go wahoo and do whatever I want. And I'll just put some line in the sand. I'll climb back on the good girl wagon or good boy wagon. I will get weighed and see what I weigh or I'll confess to my friend or I'll... I'll do whatever it is to face up to what I've done, and then I'm going to start anew. Tomorrow's a brand new day. Well, I'm here to tell you, I don't believe that any longer. I don't think tomorrow is a brand new day. I think now is your day. Now is your moment. You don't know that you're going to have tomorrow. You don't know what's going to be. All you can do is live your life right now. And let's say I went home and I had a horrific binge today, this minute. What am I going to do? I'm going to probably make a podcast about that. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I'm probably going to go to therapy and discuss what was behind it. I might go see a registered dietitian to have a better idea of what kind of foods I might eat. I can do all of those things. But life isn't about starting over. Life is living each moment the best that you can to feel as happy as you can with yourself. That's what I've learned. I think of my life more like an abacus. You know, the where in Asian cultures you use beads to slide across a pole to count up numbers. B 
because I say, okay, if I'm being perfect in every way with my life, my food, my relationships, my career, I guess now that would be my podcast. If I'm being perfect, these beads are all on one side. And then each thing I do to screw up, I'm throwing beads helter-skelter to the other. Oh, I ate too much. Beads go over. Oh, I was mean to my husband. Beans go over. Oh, I've made my podcast not as good. Beads go over. Whatever it is, made it negative. Okay, in the past, my all-or-nothing thinking would tell me my abacus is now to the bad. It's hopeless. What will I do? My new way of thinking is, in this moment, there's something I can do to pick one bead and move it over. In the case of a binge, taking a deep breath and say, Wow, Lori, you must have been hurting. That's the start of forgiveness, whether or not I know what caused a binge. That lets me move a binge to the other side of my abacus, a bead to the other side of my abacus. Telling myself that I'm going to prepare something I love to eat my very next meal. That's a positive thing and moves one bead over. If I screw up and hurt the feelings of my husband, I can own up to that and say, Honey, I love you and I'm sorry I did that. That's another moment where I can move that bead of my abacus. And I guess, Stephanie, that's how I deal with the pressure that I am probably for the rest of my life going to be on this journey in some form or another is that I break it into such small steps that it's not even a new day. It's a new moment and that moment is right now. So brave companions, while I'm having my moment here walking around Descanso Garden, re-listening to this show and thinking about things, I really I want to take the time to tell you how much I love and appreciate you. And I hope that things are going better and you are feeling hope and you are feeling heard and you are sharing this experience with us. So until next time, brave companions, wherever you are, take care because I really, really care. Slave without a master, heading for disaster, kicking up the dust in the middle of the road. I've been waiting on a free ride, ticket to a seaside thicket on the edge of Puget Sound. I'm letting